This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for March 13th, 2020. In this episode, Josh and Kirk look back at the evolution of malware on the Mac and iOS with special guest John McAfee, who invented the first antivirus software and talks about the days before computer viruses. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Last week, we talked about the RSA conference, which you attended and seemed to have a good time at, Josh. And we decided this week that we want to look back at the history of Apple malware. We even have a special guest. Did you know that John McAfee is going to be on a little bit later to talk about his early days creating the first commercial antivirus? I did know that, (laughs) but I'm sure our (laughs) listeners didn't until you just mentioned it. Okay. Well, we want to talk about the history of malware. And There's been a lot of Apple malware in spite of the fact that people say that there isn't much. We're not covering the dozens of early types of Apple malware, uh, but we're going to cover some of the main points and and how malware came to be, how it spread and, and things like that. Yeah, by by no means is this a comprehensive list. We're we're just kind of covering a few highlights to sort of give you um, an, a, a broad overview of the types of malware that have been on Apple platforms. So malware goes back a long, long way on the Apple. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the first computer malware was for an Apple computer, wasn't it? Yeah, interestingly, uh, it, it was it's certainly one of the first, if not the first, viruses that uh, was out on the PC, on, on, on any sort of personal computing platform. And this was, yeah, on the Apple II, which, which predates the Mac. Uh, this malware came out in 1982. And it spread by um, infecting the Apple DOS operating system. I had forgotten that they actually called it Apple DOS. <laughs> DOS, of course, uh, was also well known as the name of the uh, operating system that predates Windows on, on the PC side. Well, DOS just means disk operating yeah, system. Yeah, right. right. For, for, for Microsoft, it was MS-DOS, Correct. Microsoft DOS. Interestingly, I, I think correlation isn't causation, but the Elk Cloner virus came out shortly after MTV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, if you think about it, if you're old enough to remember when MTV came out, remember what the landscape was for personal computing. Oh, yeah. uh, I had a friend who had, was it a Commodore 64? I had been working in places with terminals hooked up to IBM mainframes and personal computers, even in business, were very uncommon at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, my my first family computer was an Apple II, a later model, and uh, this is b- before we upgraded to Macs. I think circa 1992 or so. Yeah, Apple computers were very popular, um, and and really they led right into the introduction of the Mac in 1984. Um, but so Elk Cloner predates Mac malware, but we thought it's worth mentioning because it's the first malware, certainly the first malware for an Apple platform and possibly even the first uh, virus there was on on computing platforms. So the next one we're going to talk about is NVIR, N-V-I-R, 
Yeah, this malware was interesting because it spread via floppy disk, which is uh, something that early Windows malware was known for doing. Um, NVIR uh, was first discovered in 1987, and there were variants of it th up through 1991. And it infected Mac operating systems dating way back to System 4.1. I don't even remember System 4.1. <laughs> and, and it continued to infect machines all the way up to uh, Mac OS 8. It infected what's called the resource fork of Mac applications. And the, the resource fork was, was something that kind of um, existed a while back. We don't really see too much use of this anymore on the Mac platform. This is a very old school thing. But uh, it was sort of like uh, there was a component of Mac apps and also some other Mac files um, that contained something that was called the resource fork. And you often would see things like um, images or text strings and things like that. And you could open Even it up. fonts, I think. Yeah. And you could open it up yeah. in a nice graphical editor uh, called Reset It or res, res Edit for Resource Editor. Yeah, that was my first exposure into playing around with files. It didn't do anything dangerous, and it wasn't coding, but as you say, it was, a, it was a very usable interface where you could see all the different resources. You could sort of pull sounds out of apps, or you could add sounds to apps. You could mess around with images and icons. Um, those were interesting days. Indeed, yeah. Now, th um, this is really interesting, and, and there were a lot of um, aliases, different nicknames for, for this malware, but, but really it was one of the first uh, types of malware that spread via floppy disk. And so actually that's what we talked with John McAfee about, and let's hear what he had to say about that. Back in 1987, you launched the first major anti-malware company. What prompted you to launch the company? Because personal computers hadn't even taken off yet. I, I mean, the most that individuals were doing was claiming that they bought them to balance their checkbooks, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but, but the IBM had launched its uh, its PC. Yeah. Apple had its, uh, its uh, Apple. No, I mean, there were millions of people, millions around in 1987 using IBM PCs. And by 1987, they'd gone past the 8080 all the way to the 8086. I mean, you know, 100 times faster. Yeah, the chip that they first launched the IBM PC with. So no, it was, I mean, you, you didn't have Windows, you didn't have a mouse, uh, but you had a screen and a keyboard. <laughs> How did you see that this was a potential market, though? Because, I, I, I mean, there I were a few security threats back then, but not a lot. I didn't see any. Listen, do you think that businesses like Microsoft start because Bill Gates saw the future? No. Yeah. They are all accidents. Let me tell you my accident. And and believe me, I, I know Bill Gates knew Steve Jobs, still know Steve Wozniak. Um, uh, I knew all of the major people. Nobody had a plan, people. Plans don't work. Life will not support your plan. This. So uh, I started. It was a Sunday morning, and my brother-in-law, who had been um, living with us, my wife's brother, uh, for over a year, but he did read to me on the Sundays if there was something interesting while I was watching TV. He said, hey, listen to this, computer virus. I go, what? Computer virus? No one had ever used the word before. Yeah. Uh, the word got into the press because the two people who wrote this virus put in it Pakistani brain virus. So the word virus stuck. I got a copy of it so within hours and took it apart. 
And I realized for the first time someone had created a living piece of software. Because how would you define life? Yeah. Yeah, ability reproduction. To, the ability to propagate yep. and the ability to survive long yeah. enough to propagate enough that you grow. Well, that's what these two brothers had done. And I saw instantly, well, this is either the end of the world as we know it. Because if there were no automated way to stop it, uh, yeah. give up people. Because the first thing it did after it replicated and made sure that it was doubling and tripling every minute, then it killed everything in the system. Yeah. And everything was gone. And this is before we had massive offline storage people. <laughs> we yeah. Didn't have yeah, people didn't have backups and multiple backups. <laughs> You went through USB. We didn't have USBs. Yeah, serial ports this big, and, um, and tape machines, and tape machines. But we listen. Common people can't afford tape machines. Sure. That's a year's salary. No, we got little personal computers with floppy diskettes, and the brain virus was on every single one of them. If you put one in a machine, it instantly copied to the boot sector of that machine every floppy diskette after that. And since you had, at that time, had to have a floppy disk to boot from, yeah. at some point the world would be owned by the Pakistani brain. Do you understand? That's what I saw. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then instantly, because I understood exactly how they did it, it was brilliant. I'm going... I wasn't scared, but I saw if nothing was done, this is the end of the world as you know it. So I go, whoa, I know how you can stop this. This is trivial. In fact, I know how you can search for it on the floppy after I've cleaned your big system and cleaned that sucker and done. Um, now, and I put it up on the bulletin board. I did not think a single thought beyond that. Okay, well, that takes care of that issue. Let's get on with my life. However, my life took a turn two weeks later when one million people were trying to pay me. Because I really? put it out. Yeah, well, I put it out as shareware. Right. Saying it's free. However, if you're using it in a company or an organization or yeah. military or government environment, you got to pay me. My first six employees were not developers. There were phone answerers who did nothing but write up invoices and send them out all day long. Well, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> in four months, I had $15 million in the bank. I did not plan that. <laughs> I ran that's crazy. Big difference. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. And I had to quit my job at Lockheed instantly, which I did. And yeah. I never went. Can I never even wrote them a letter. I called my boss and said, I'm not coming in again. What's up? I'm not coming in again. Click. And then back to work. <laughs> uh, you, you sort of hit the lottery. Well, no, I didn't hit the lottery. I risked everything on yeah. the chance yeah. that this thing that just flew by me might do something. And it did. Yeah. yeah. And the rest is history. You think that Bill Gates is any different? His story is weirder than mine. Okay, so yes, it's interesting to, to hear how 
it was sort of accidental that he just wanted to get rid of this virus and all of a sudden people were giving him money, which um, is kind of impressive. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Yeah, it was quite a story, isn't it? Um, so, so that's really how we got the first uh, commercial antivirus product. Which wasn't for Macs or Apple computers, right, was it? Right, Yeah, in fact, um, so it, you didn't really start seeing a lot of Mac malware until a little bit after this. And so at the time, there were some uh, little, you know, in the early days, there were some ways that you could manually clean these things up. Um, there were probably little one-off, you know, uh, utilities that could remove a particular infection. But there wasn't really as much of a need in the very early days for sort of a general purpose uh, anti-malware solution or antivirus uh, back in those days. But I think what happened is Apple's HyperCard became popular and there were HyperCard viruses. And because of that, uh, an antivirus program was born. But let's first talk about HyperCard. You remember HyperCard, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, HyperCard, for those who, who don't remember it uh, or were not yet using Macs at that time, HyperCard was, how would you describe it? It was kind of a fun little um, stack-based application you could create stacks that did a whole bunch of different things. You could you could make a, a story that went from one uh, page in a stack to to another. You could uh, you could really create simple applications using HyperCard because each component of HyperCard could link to another thing. It was sort of like a precursor to like the modern web browser in some senses. That's one way of looking at it because of the concept of hypertext, as you say, going from one thing to another. Um, the idea of a stack is if you've built databases, you know that databases have records. And so you have a layout for your database record. And in a hypercard stack, you would make a layout with, say, a text field that would be the same on every card. Um, and you'd have buttons that would be the same. But as you moved around, things would, the content would change. I messed around with this a lot. And because it wasn't really coding, you had sort of plugins that you would add to HyperCard. I forget what they were called. There were two types of plugins, and you could use them to get extra features. And in any case, it was fascinating. Apple killed it off after, well, I guess with OS X it died, didn't it? Because it was still usable under Mac OS 9, I think. Yeah, the final release, according to Wikipedia, was in 1998. That was the last time that Apple actually updated HyperCard. But there were people who were really still trying to use it for several years beyond that until Apple finally said, OK, I know you guys really like HyperCard, but we're done with it. You're not using this anymore. Uh, it was even used for, for video games, I remember. There were some games that were designed in HyperCard even. I remember early CD-ROM games worked on HyperCard. I had a bunch of games for my son. Um, Silly Noisy House. Do you remember that one? No, I don't, I don't remember that. It, it was for real young kids. You'd click on different, it'd be really comic-like graphics. You'd click on different things and they'd make noises. It was really simple, but it was, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was an easy way to develop and it was a graphical way to develop. It wasn't like you're writing a lot of code. You were building, as you say, they called it a stack. You were building cards and we'll, we'll link to a couple resources on hypercard so there started to be hypercard viruses because hypercard was used a lot in education and teachers would share stacks um, with lesson information and in 1989 an antivirus called disinfectant was born it was created by a guy named john norstead at northwestern university and it was maintained for about what 10 years i think the last release was 97 uh it was free 
It was totally free. And it was around this time that we started seeing commercial antiviruses that were more expensive, and yet disinfectant worked very well and for free. Yeah, I even remember that it had a system extension that you could install that would, uh, you know, every time you started up the Mac at the bottom, you know, the icons would march down there, those system extensions. And, uh, And so you could even have it actively protect your computer from certain types of Mac malware, which is interesting. And this worked, I think, on, if I remember right, I think it was System 6 all the way up to Mac OS 9 that this was compatible with. Yeah, so my first Mac had System 7. Uh, My first Mac was a PowerBook 100 in late 1991, and that was when System 7 came out. So it definitely worked there. And I remember I got it off a floppy disk that came with a a Mac magazine at some point, um, which is how we got freeware and shareware back in the day. That's right. Yeah, I remember um, Mac Addict magazine came along a little later than that, and and they had a CD-ROM with every issue of the magazine. Uh, Yes, well, that's different. That's different. (laughs) We're still back in the the 90s here. Um, (laughs) So disinfectant was discontinued in 1998 because... All of a sudden, we had the rise of Word and Excel macroviruses, and they started around 1995. The problem with these is that they were cross-platform. Now, I was a translator around that time, and I actually ended up getting a lot of macroviruses. And I don't remember which app I had to use to detect them and get rid of them, um, but they were a problem because I would get files from translation agencies I worked for who got them from clients, and so they would you know, like people were telling people to wash their hands now, back then they weren't washing their files and they were very common. Macroviruses were interesting because they could do a lot of damage, but they could also do things like hide menus in Word or Excel. They could control the interface of what you saw and they were kind of freaky sometimes. Yeah, the the idea behind uh, these macroviruses, well, first of all, you have to kind of understand that macros were something that was designed into these Microsoft Office applications as a way to uh, to automate certain things and make the experience using Word or Excel better by giving you some additional capabilities and functionality. And what Microsoft obviously didn't anticipate was that some of those functions could be used for malicious purposes. And so thus the macro virus was born. And the problem was that if you opened an infected file, it copied the macro virus into your normal dot DOT file. Um, So one way of getting rid of them was just delete that file, but you may have stored personal settings in that file. Right. The .dot was a template. Um, And so any new file that you created in that application could have that that macro virus already pre-built into it just for your convenience. And by the way, these these early uh, freeware antivirus programs did not really do anything about uh, Word and Excel macroviruses. They could detect all the Mac-specific ones, but there wasn't much that they could do about these uh, macroviruses as well. So that was definitely a big issue on Macs for a while. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about malware since the arrival of Mac OS X. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software, 
that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, so in the fall of 2001 was the first, what I would call, real usable version of Mac OS X. The public beta came out in the fall of 2000, and the first version, 10.0, came out in March, but it really wasn't very good. It didn't have many applications. It was slow. Um, and in particular, the emulator that allowed you to use um, previous apps that ran on a Mac OS 9 wasn't very useful. But once the 10.1 came out, Mac OS 10 Puma, then things moved ahead. In fact, Microsoft released their first version of Office for OS 10 at the end of the year 2001, and this brought a whole new type of malware to the Mac. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Reenpo or Opener was the first Mac malware to use something called a shell script. Um, we actually see this still in modern malware today using uh, shell scripts. Um, shell scripts are, you could think of it as, uh, I guess, sort of similar in concept to a macro um, where it's a series of automated things that can be programmed to happen one after another. So a shell script, and they can be fairly complicated in some cases, but uh, they, they can run in the background. Um, that's one of the key things why, why shell scripts are so often used in malware. Shell scripts are also very useful, of course, for system administrators too. If you, if you support a whole bunch of different Macs, um, shell scripts are often used uh, by system administrators, but the bad guys use them too. And of course, shell scripts worked on Mac OS X because Mac OS X was built on a base using Unix, and Unix had a number of languages in it that you could write shell script for. Right, exactly. Yeah, this was, um, if you've ever opened up the Mac OS terminal application, um, shell scripts are, are scripts that basically run in the terminal, but they can also run in the background as well. So Reenpo or Opener was the first Mac backdoor, and we've actually seen this certainly evolve over the years. And, and there have been a variety of different pieces of backdoor malware for Mac OS. Uh, in, even in recent years, this still is a thing. Uh, backdoors essentially are a way for uh, an attacker, a, a hacker, a malicious hacker to get into your machine and do things like sniff you know, passwords as you're typing them in, take screenshots um, on more modern Macs. This could also be activating your webcam um, or your microphone that's built into your Mac. There's a number of things that backdoor malware can do. And this was the first example of it on the Mac. Okay, move ahead a couple years and we had some malware called Leap A or Oompa A, which was discovered in the wild by Intego in 2006. Yes, the, the Oompa Loompa worm. <laughs> this was an iChat worm. I don't know if you remember iChat was... Uh, a 
sort of like, I guess you could call it the precursor to the new messages app that Apple has. Back in the day, uh, you didn't really do text messaging from your computer, but you did send instant messages, which is basically the same thing, but just operated on a, on a different service. So iChat used AOL Instant Messenger and other protocols, including something that uh, I don't remember at the time if it was called uh, Rendezvous or Bonjour, but um, Bonjour was a technology that allowed you, among other things, to chat amongst uh, people on your local network. It was also used for printing and things like that. But um, this actually spread through Bonjour iChats. So anybody on your local network uh, could potentially get infected um, if your system was infected with this iChat worm. I like the way you say bonjour. <laughs> you don't have the accent, Josh. It's no. bonjour. Uh, thank you. Yes. I, I'm, I'm not a, not a I, French speaker, but. I will include a link in the show notes to an article that I co-wrote with um, my colleague Rob Griffiths from Macworld back in 2006, where we uh, did some deep testing into the way Lipe or Oompa Loompa worked. I remember this period because this was really one of the first serious Mac malware threats we had. And like many early malware, certain conditions had to be met. Read the article. It's kind of interesting. We spent, my friend Rob and I spent like a day going through this to figure out exactly when it worked and how it worked. And that's an interesting memory. So after that, once the iPhone and the iPod Touch came out, people started to jailbreak them. And we've mentioned this many times, jailbreaking is a way of sort of getting around the operating system so you can essentially install software that's not in the iOS app store, and you can do some other things to your device. So there was a botnet that attacked the iPhone and the iPod Touch in 2009. This was actually the third type of malware that Intego had discovered in that particular month in November 2009. Um, and, and this one was really novel because it was the first real iOS, and it wasn't called iOS at the time, but it was the first iPhone malware. And, uh, and it, it don't, like you said, it only infected jailbroken iPhones. And it was a worm and it spread because people were not changing the root password on their iPhones. So they would jailbreak it, which was a somewhat complicated process. And you kind of had to know what you were doing. And most people didn't know enough to change the root password after they jailbroke their, de their device. And uh, that's how this worm was able to spread. Now, what's interesting is uh, in uh, a couple of years later, if we fast forward, there was um, iOS malware that uh, was able to infect non-jailbroken iPhones. Um, the first example of that was WireLurker in 2014, and then there was one called YeSpectre in 2015. Um, so it's not the case. I, I know most people think you can't infect an iPhone. Well, it's happened. It actually really has happened. And uh, so even today, um, we, we still need to be cautious, especially since Apple does not allow antivirus software to run on an iPhone or iPad or iPod Touch. Um, those are all banned. Apple will not allow any, any uh, in fact, if you go into the iOS app store and you search for antivirus, you're not going to find anything that actually will protect your system. Okay, we move ahead to 2011 and Intego discovered Flashback, which ended up being the most widely spread malware on the Mac. At one point, one company said that there were as many as 600,000 Macs 
that had been infected that formed a botnet, including 274 bots. A botnet is when malware takes control of a bunch of computers, uses it for things like um, sending spam, for instance. But it can also be used to host files that people don't want to host publicly. It didn't actually damage the system. It was more used to create this botnet to give malicious users the power to do things. Right. This, this had some backdoor capabilities, but ultimately the way that it got onto systems was uh, masquerading as, guess what, <laughs> Adobe Flash Player. Interestingly, we've continued to see this um, it, it, even in recent years, even this year, there's still malware out there that pretends to be Adobe Flash Player and people still download and install it because they, they've just gotten in this habit over the years. Oh, Flash Player needs to update. Oh, okay, okay. And so people often will just install it unthinkingly, not realizing uh, that, you know, most of the time when someone is, when a website says you need to install Flash Player, it's actually malware. Interestingly, that same year, uh, there was also another type of malware on the Mac that was uh, called fake antivirus malware, fake AV. And there were, uh, it came under a few different names, Mac Defender, Mac Protector, Mac Shield. It all sounds like it's designed to protect your computer, but ironically, it was also a Trojan horse, something that pretended to be doing one thing, protecting your computer when it was actually infecting it. Okay, we move ahead to 2018, 2019. Intego's discovered a fair amount of malware. Um, one is called Schleyer, another was called Linker and Crescent Core. What are these about? Remember about how a minute ago we were talking about Reenpo in 2004 being the first Mac backdoor and it leveraged shell scripts. Well, Schleyer you leverages shell scripts. Um, the SH at the beginning of Schleyer is for shell, shell scripts. Um, and so they're still using that same technology even today, even, you know, uh, 14 plus, you know, now we're, you know, 16 years in the future from when that first example came out. Um, and Schleyer is, uh, is malware that continues to use this concept um, to run some malicious scripts in the background uh, that can can infect your system. Uh, Linker and Crescent Core are ones that we discovered last summer uh, that we we talked about on on the podcast. So I won't go in too too much detail about those. Um, we can link to to uh, uh, ep podcast episodes where we talked about those. But um, you know these are uh, two examples of Mac malware that was that Intego discovered in the wild. Um, in the case of Crescent Core last year. Um, and this happens all the time. I mean, we're always finding new samples of malware. And uh, so I, I think by now people should get the idea that, you know, there really is Mac malware out there. It's not just a, you know, you might encounter this once in a while. Um, it's really serious. Um, uh, there was a recent report, I think we might've mentioned it on the show where, um, there's actually more per system, there's more samples of Mac malware than, than there are um, Windows malware on Windows systems, twice as much on, on Macs, um, in, in, according to one recent report. So um, people who are getting infected are getting infected with more things if they're a Mac user on average. Um, that's pretty surprising, but perhaps it shouldn't be. I, I think we're at the point now where we can finally say, okay, Apple's indoctrinated us 
uh, so well over these years, but um, now we need to finally accept the fact that, yeah, Max can get malware. It really does happen. Okay, there's going to be lots of links in the show notes to old articles about some of this malware, to podcast episodes where we've discussed recent malware. Josh, you're off on assignment again, aren't you? You're going to this conference, Objective by the Sea. Last year, this was in Monaco. Which sea is it this year? Uh, they're back in uh, Hawaii this year on uh, Maui. So um, the conference organizer... Objective by the ocean. <laughs> right, right. Um, Patrick Wardle uh, actually lives there. Um, and so uh, what he's kind of been doing with this conference is uh, that every other time it's going to be in Hawaii, on alternating years, uh, he wants to have those uh, in Europe for, for people who can't necessarily make the trek all the way to Hawaii from Europe. Okay, in our next episode, we'll talk about what you've learned at this conference. And until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>